Hi, everybody. Edwin Crozier here. I want to let you know how much I appreciate you joining us at the Franklin Church of Christ in our studies. In this lesson, we examine what I call the dynamic duo, the powerful coupling that allows God to work through his saints in amazing ways. We're going to examine how and why prayer and Bible study go hand in hand. May God bless us as we take a biblical look at the dynamic duo. Well, we've been discussing prayer for a whole month now, and I hope that it's been as helpful to you as it has been to me. <clears throat> you will probably be thankful to know <clears throat> that I woke up this morning with whatever in my throat, which you know what that means is the sermons get cut in length now. Throughout this series, we've been working on the premise that, that we're in a battle, that we're fighting against an enemy that we cannot defeat by ourselves, but that we don't have to face this enemy by ourselves. That we can plug into God who has the power to overcome the enemy. And that through His power working in our lives, we also can overcome the enemy. However, Despite our emphasis on the concept of prayer throughout this series, we need to recognize that prayer is only half of the plugging in equation. The other half of that equation is Bible study. Now, prayer is an important half, and it's an often overlooked half, which is why we have spent so much time focusing on that. But as we come to the conclusion of this, we need to make sure that we keep it in perspective and keep it in line with all of our responsibility to the Lord and all that God has done for us and provided for us. And we need to recognize that part of plugging into God is getting into His Word. And it's not exactly accurate to describe it as half, I guess, because I don't want to give the idea that, well, if I pray and don't study my Bible, then God will be able to use His power through me halfway, or if I study my Bible and I don't pray, God will be able to use His power halfway through my life, because it really doesn't work that way. Bible study and prayer need to, in, need to intermingle. They go together. They work on each other. They make each other useful. And the fact of the matter is, if I attempt to pray without the foundation of Bible study, my prayers are useless. But if I study my Bible without connecting to God in prayer, then in reality, the Bible study is useless. Therefore, what I'd like for us to do today as we consider this idea, I'd like for us to look at five reasons why prayer and Bible study go together and how they work together. The very first thing that I'd like us to notice is something we've actually already covered when it comes to prayer, and that is the whole armor of God. It takes prayer and Bible study to give us the whole armor of God. Look at Ephesians chapter 6. In Ephesians chapter 6, beginning at verse 12, we know that it says, We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. 
One of our very first lessons in this series was to examine prayer's place in the armor of God. You'll remember as he concluded his discussion of the armor of God there in verse 18, he said, "...praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints." What we recognize from this, of course, is that if we're going to go into the battlefield and we want our armor to be completed, we've got to be prayers. We've got to plug into the Lord and have His power working through us. However, if we start the day off with prayer and we place that part of our armor on and we neglect the rest of the armor, we recognize that we will go into the battlefield just as vulnerable to Satan's attack as if we went out without prayer. Examine there in Ephesians chapter 6, beginning at verse 14, the armor that God says we should put on. He says in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 14, Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Clearly, we recognize the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Our offensive weapon in the battle against Satan is the Word of God. We recognize that. We know that. We've talked about that on numerous occasions. But have you ever noticed that when you take a look at the rest of that armor of God, how much of it is anchored in God's Word? I just begin there in Ephesians 6.14. Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth. And we remember John chapter 17 and verse 17 as Jesus prayed there in John 17 and verse 17, Sanctify them by your truth. Your Word is truth. So when we're girding our waist with truth, where is that coming from? It's coming from the Word. Having put on the, blessed, the breastplate of righteousness... Remember 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, where Paul wrote, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be completely thoroughly equipped for every good work. Where do we receive the instruction in righteousness to be able to put on that breastplate? We receive it in the Word. He goes on to say, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Look in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 5. In Colossians chapter 1 and verse 5. Because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you have heard before in the word of truth of the gospel. Where do we find that gospel? We find it in the word. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench the fiery darts. Taking the shield of faith. But we, of course, remember Romans chapter 10 and verse 17, where the Scripture there says, So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. And then, of course, finally, as it's talking here, this taking up that shield of faith. And then in verse 17, take the helmet of salvation. But we look in 2 Timothy chapter 3, and verse 15. And remember that Paul told Timothy that from childhood in 2 Timothy 3.15, you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. What we recognize then as we take a trip through that armor and as we're putting it on, where does it all begin? It all begins right here with the Word. 
If we're going to enter into the battle, if we're going to be a part of the Lord's army, it is not enough just to wake up in the morning and say, God, go with me. We've got to be getting into the Word, girding up our waist with truth from the Word, protecting our heart and vital, vital organs with the breastplate of righteousness which comes from the Word, carrying our shield of faith which we gain through study of the Word, putting on that helmet of salvation which comes through study and obedience to the Word having our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, which we can only prepare by getting into the Word. Therefore, what we recognize is if we want to be in this battle and we don't want to be vulnerable, if we want to put on the whole armor of God, then it's going to take prayer and Bible study. Those things go together. In fact, so many people, when their prayer habits and their Bible study habits, they keep them together because the time when they study their Bible, it's the time following that that they pray or maybe before and after, but they interweave those things. And that's exactly what we ought to be doing. But keep in mind, our lives have to be filled not only with prayer, but also with the study of God's Word. The second reason why we recognize that is because we know that we're supposed to pray in faith. Look in Matthew chapter 21. In Matthew chapter 21... And verse 22, Jesus provides an awesome statement. In Matthew chapter 21 and verse 22, Jesus says, Whatever things you ask in prayer, believing, you will receive. Here Jesus provides this phenomenal statement without any caveats. He just says, Whatever you ask in prayer, believing, you will will receive. Anybody who studied prayer for any length of time has recognized that for prayer to be effective, it has to be coupled with faith. You remember in James chapter 1, James chapter 1, beginning at verse 5. In James chapter 1 and verse 5, James wrote, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. We've got to ask believing. We've got to have faith without doubting. And then at the end of the book, in James chapter 5, in James chapter 5, Beginning about verse 15, the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours and he, he prayed earnestly that it would not rain and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again and the heaven gave rain and the earth produced its fruits. Certainly from these texts we recognize that if we're going to pray, if we're going to pray properly, faith has to be involved in that. Whatever you ask, believing, I'll grant that to you. However, the sad thing is, is that for many folks today, as they take a look at these passages, they often treat the faith in those passages as if it were in a vacuum. Neglecting to keep in mind what faith is and upon what faith 
His base. And you'll often hear folks talk about, oh, you've got to pray, you've got to pray believing, and you've got to believe that God can, but not only that God can, you've got to believe that God will, and you've got to believe it without doubting, and then they'll just stop there. But we've got to remember that the faith in the Bible is not just something in a vacuum. It's not just something that's out there that just says you just believe this willy-nilly. The Bible demonstrates that faith is something that we have that has been produced because of something else. In Romans chapter 10 and verse 17, the passage that we refer to as we look at the armor of God, in Romans chapter 10 and verse 17, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Here's what we need to have impressed upon our minds. Praying in faith is not just the idea of I ask anything I want, anything possible under the sun, and as long as I believe hard enough and pray long enough, God has just said, I'm going to do it. If I just really believe and I'm just really convinced that God can and God will do what I ask, then He is suddenly going to do it. That is not what asking in faith is about. Asking in faith means our prayers are based upon what has produced our faith. We can pray believing when we have studied the Word of God and we have seen His promises. And based upon those promises, we can have faith in what God will do. Based upon those promises, we can have faith that God can do anything. We can have faith that God will do what He has promised to do. And allow me just to throw in here, some will say, well, if He's promised to do it, He's going to do it anyway. Let's remember some of the things we've already learned. There are some things God has promised us if we ask. So keep that in mind. But further, we can also have faith based upon the Word that God will do what is good for us. We have a Father who loves us. And therefore, when we ask for a fish, will not give us a serpent. When we ask for bread, will not give us a stone. We can have faith that our Father in heaven will give us good gifts. And if we pray with that kind of faith, here is the amazing thing. We recognize that God will give us good gifts even when the gift we asked for was not a good gift. I remember the prayer of Paul as he prayed three times for the thorn in the flesh to be removed, but Jesus said to him, My grace is sufficient for you. What he demonstrated to Paul was that if I remove that thorn in the flesh, that's what humbles you. That's what keeps you humble. That's what helps you maintain the proper perspective. If that thorn in the flesh had been removed... That would not have been a good thing for the Apostle Paul. He might have become puffed up. And of course, we know that pride goes before a fall. Have you ever thought about it? That Paul asked for a serpent. But the Lord gave him a fish anyway. Why? Because here was a man who prayed with the proper attitude. Not my will, but yours be done. Who had faith that God can do anything. God will do what He's promised. And God will do what is good for His children even if I can't tell that it's what is good for me. We take a look at that example of Elijah there in James chapter 5. And that example oftentimes throws us off 
Because here was a man who prayed that it would stop raining, and then he prayed that it would start raining. And we think, wow, that's amazing. So if I pray hard enough, anything and everything I want, even the weather, will be at my bidding and my command based on my prayers. If I pray long enough and I believe hard enough, and I'm just absolutely convicted, then I can even control the weather. But that's not what was happening here. Elijah's prayer was not just some whimsical wish that, that he not have rain. He wasn't, getting in that, he wasn't having an outdoor wedding and just really hoping that there would be no rain or having a big Fourth of July get-together and hoping that the weather would cooperate. That's not what's going on here. This was a prayer of faith. A prayer that was based out of God's Word. Look in Deuteronomy chapter 11. In Deuteronomy chapter 11 and verse 17. In Deuteronomy chapter 11 and verse 17, as God was telling the Israelites what would happen if they went into idolatry, in Deuteronomy chapter 11 and verse 17, it says, well, let's just back at verse 16 get the greater context. Take heed to yourselves, Deuteronomy 11:16. take heed to yourselves, lest your heart be deceived, and you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. Lest the Lord's anger be aroused against you. Notice this. And he shut up the heavens so that there be no rain, and the land yield no produce, and you perish quickly from the good land which the Lord is giving you. God had promised His children, if you turn to idols, one of the ways I'm going to punish you is I am going to stop the rain. And you won't be able to yield any produce because there won't be any water. And you'll perish quickly. What happened? The children of Israel had gone into idolatry in the worst way under Ahab. The worst king they'd ever had. And so Elijah, he prayed, but it wasn't just, God, I'd really like for it not to rain. It was a prayer of faith. Based upon God's promise, he said, God, you promised this. You promised. If your children did what your children are doing now, you would stop the rain. And Elijah had faith. Not that God would do just whatever Elijah asked as long as he believed. He had faith that God would do what He promised if He asked in faith. A prayer in faith, a prayer believing, is the prayer that we can offer based on what we have studied and read in God's Word, knowing what He has promised, knowing what He can do, and knowing that He will do what is good. I cannot pray in faith if my Bible stays closed up on the coffee table. Because I can't know what God has promised. I can't know what God has said in His Word and base my prayer on that if I'm not studying His Word. So do you see, for prayer to work, for prayer to be effective, it has to be coupled with God's Word and with Bible study. The third thing I'd like for you to notice is that for prayer to work, we've got to be coupled with Bible study because we've got to know God. I want you to think about the conversations that you have with people. You have conversations with folks at the checkout line at Walmart, the bank teller, and maybe sometimes even that strange person on the elevator. Have those kind of conversations. Or maybe not. But then think about your best friend who you've known for years and years and years, and maybe your brother or sister, your parents or your children, and the conversations that you've had with them. Your brethren here that you've been connected with maybe for years. Let me ask you, which of those conversations are deeper and more meaningful? The ones with the strangers or the ones with your friends that you know well and have been connected to for a long time? 
we recognize that the more deep and more meaningful conversations are the ones that are based in a relationship where we know one another. We know how one another thinks. We know how one another behaves and reacts to things. We know what's important to one another. A basic tenet of communication is that it's going to be better the more we know one another. Right? Well, the fact is that it works the same way with prayer. In prayer, as we are communicating with God, the more we know God, the better our prayers are going to be, the more effective they are, the more meaningful, the more deep they will be, the deeper they will be. Of course, we recognize as far as God goes, God knows us pretty well. Psalm 139. Psalm 139 and verse 1. I I really hope we make it through all day today. Otherwise, I'm just going to handpick one of you to preach tonight's sermon. Who's who's willing? Psalm 139, beginning at verse 1. O Lord, You have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, You know it altogether. You have hedged me behind and before and laid Your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Look at verse 13 of Psalm 139. For You formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise You, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are Your works, and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from You when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed, and in Your book they all were written. The days fashioned for me when as yet there was none of them. God knows us. So the problem of knowledge in this communication that we're having back and forth with God is not on His end, but it's on our end. He knows us. The question is, do we know Him? Do we know what He thinks? Do we know what He values? Do we know what He wants? Do we know how He behaves and how how He reacts and what is important to Him? That's what we've got to learn if we're going to have deeper prayers, more meaningful prayers, prayers that impact God, prayers based in faith and the Word of God. How are we going to know God? Well, look in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, beginning at about verse 11. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 11. For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. I can't know your mind unless you tell it to me. And what this passage is pointing out is that I can't know the mind of God. I don't know the mind of God, but the Spirit knows the mind of God. And if I am going to know the mind of God, what is He going to have to do? He's going to have to reveal it to me. He's going to have to tell it to me. And we find in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21, 2 Peter chapter 1, beginning at verse 20. In 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 20, the Scripture says, Knowing this first, 
that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gave revelation. Here within this Word, we find God's mind revealed to the extent that He wants us to know it. How can we know God? We can know God by getting into His Word, by studying His Word, by learning about Him, by looking at how He dealt with people in the past, how He responded to various actions, how He responded to the way they related to Him. And the more we know God, the deeper and more meaningful our prayer lives will become. The more able we will be to communicate to Him the thoughts in our hearts. Just to demonstrate how important this is, take a look at Mark chapter 12 and verse 24. In Mark chapter 12 and verse 24, the Sadducees had questioned Jesus. They were asking Him about the way it was going to be after the judgment because they didn't believe in the resurrection. And Jesus answered in Mark 12:24 and said to them, Are you not therefore mistaken because you do not know the Scriptures nor the power of God? How are we going to know God and know His power and know His thoughts and His mind? We know that when we know the Scriptures. Therefore, if we want to be able to communicate to God in a knowing way, knowing God, knowing His power, knowing His omniscience and His omnipresence, knowing His love, knowing His mind and His thoughts and what is important to Him, it's going to come from knowing the Scriptures. Prayer and Bible study. Let's go hand in hand. We continue and recognize that if we want to pray in Jesus' name, we're going to have to know the Scriptures. Look in John. John chapter 14. John chapter 14 and verse 13. Jesus, as He is talking to His apostles, He says to them in John chapter 14 and verse 13, Whatever you ask in My name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in My name, I will do it. And I have to let you know that this verse kind of scared me for a long time. Because I thought this verse was offering far more than I was willing to concede based on other things I had read in the Scripture. And what I feared is that those health and wealth gospel teachers today would latch onto this verse, as in fact they have, and they'll pass it off and say, oh, if you just ask it in Jesus' name, He's going to give it to you. Just name it and claim it. If you ask it believing that God is convicted in your heart in the name of Jesus Christ that God's going to give it to you, then you're going to have it. And you know how we often say when we're asking folks and we're dealing with people that we think aren't teaching the truth, we pull out the verse and say, well, how do you deal with that verse? You ever ask that question? How do you deal with it? Well, here's how I dealt with it. I said, well, Jesus here is talking to the apostles. He wasn't talking to us. But somewhere along the line, I had to realize that, you know, that doesn't actually work for me, number one, because there are other things within this conversation I think do apply to us. But number two... Because, you know, in reality, I, I don't believe Jesus ever told the apostles anything under the sun you ever ask in my name. I'm going to do it. And so in studying it, 
I noticed two things in this text that cleared it up for me. And by the way, it's not me dealing with this verse. It's me learning what this verse actually says. And notice what he says. Whatever you ask in my name, that I will do. That the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Two things in this text. First of all, what we ask has to be in His name. And number two, it's about glorifying the Father. Do you see that in those passages? Not just anything under the sun you ask, tacking on the words in Jesus' name at the end of the prayer, you get. You have to ask really in my name. And it's about glorifying the Father. Well, what's it mean to ask in Jesus' name? What's it mean to do anything in Jesus' name? Acts chapter 4, I believe, provides us with some help on that. In Acts chapter 4 and verse 7, after the apostles Peter and John had healed the lame man, the council gets Peter and John and they ask him in Acts chapter 4 and verse 7, by what power or by what name have you done this? And of course, we know down in about verse 10, Peter says, Let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by Him this man stands here before you whole. But notice the question, by what power or by what name? The question they're asking Peter and John, who empowered you to do this? Who authorized you that you can do this? And Peter and John say, I'll tell you who empowered us. I'll tell you who authorized us. Jesus of Nazareth, whom you crucified, who was raised from the dead. He's the one that empowered us. He's the one that authorized us to do this. Sometimes it's amazing to me. We, we actually kind of in our subconsciousness know what it means to do something in the name of something or someone. We use that phrase a lot. However, when it comes to the Scripture and talking about doing things in Jesus' name, it seems like in the modern religious world, our common sense and our normal use of that phrase just kind of goes out the window and we think it means something special. And it doesn't. It means the same thing it means in every other context. Let me ask you, have you ever watched a police show in which somebody said, as the robber is running away, a policeman pulls his gun and he says, Stop! What's he say? In the name of the law. What is he saying there? He is saying that I recognize by myself I couldn't make you stop. But I am empowered and authorized by our law to command you to stop. And of course, in that scenario, if you don't, I'm going to shoot you. Right? Because I've been given the authority to do that, to make you stop. And either you do it voluntarily or I will make you stop. Right? What's he saying? I have been empowered. I have been authorized to do this. Therefore, when we recognize that praying in Jesus' name, what are we saying? We're not saying that we end it with the words in Jesus' name. We're saying that Jesus has empowered us to pray. Jesus has authorized us to give this prayer. Now, we already know how God authorizes things. We already know how Jesus authorizes and empowers us. 2 Timothy chapter 3 
verses 16 and 17. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Thoroughly equipped for every good work. Thoroughly empowered for every good work. Thoroughly authorized for every good work. How are we equipped for every good work? Through the Scripture. How are we empowered for every good work? Through the Scripture. And thus we recognize, how are we empowered, equipped, and authorized for every good prayer? Through the Scripture. Now we go back then to our praying faith. How can I offer a prayer in Jesus' name? I can go back to the Word and I can realize that He has authorized me to pray this prayer. He's empowered me to pray this prayer. But notice, secondly, we talked about glorifying God. Look back in John 15. In the same conversation where Jesus had said, if you ask anything in my name, I'll do it for you. In John chapter 15, verses 5 through 8, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. John 15 and verse 6, If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. Notice what he says here. He repeats it again. Ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. But when? When you abide in me and my words abide in you. And by this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. What's all this about? It's about God being glorified. And the fact is, when our prayers are based upon the Word of God, Jesus abiding in us, then what we ask will be done for us. Why? We've said it before. We'll say it again. If there's not anything that you learn from this series, I hope you learn this. Most of the time, we approach prayer as the tool by which we bend God to our own will. But in fact, prayer is the tool by which God bends us to His own will. And when our prayers are based in Jesus' name, on the authority of His Word, with the desire to glorify our Father in heaven, then whatever we ask, we'll receive. Because the only thing that we will ask is what glorifies our Father in heaven and what is authorized by Jesus. Bible study and prayer go hand in hand. And finally, two-way communication. Prayer, we talk about communication. We're communicating to God. But communication, we understand, is two-way. When you and I are communicating, most of the time, we talk about give and take. We both give and take a little bit. I talk a little bit, you listen a little bit, you talk a little bit, I listen a little bit, right? Have you ever been in a one-sided conversation? Have you ever, have you ever dealt with somebody who, they might even ask you a question and when you start to answer it, they won't let you. You ever, you ever been there? How many of you have been there? Yeah, I won't tell you the people that I have to deal with that with. They don't live in my house, by the way. <laughs> I just, I didn't want any of you thinking that I was talking about Marita because it's not her. She has to put up with me doing that. What do you feel? Or what do you think when you're in that kind of conversation? We don't like that, do we? Do you think God likes it? 
When our communication is just one way, it's all about me telling him and, him, and, and me not ever listening to him. How does God communicate to us? Right here. Remember, your word is a light to my feet, a lamp to my path. It's amazing how many people will pray for guidance, but they never go to the thing that God has given to guidance. Look in Isaiah chapter 66. In Isaiah chapter 66, what a powerful, powerful passage. Isaiah chapter 66, beginning at about verse 3. He who kills a bull is as if he slays a man. He who sacrifices a lamb as if he breaks a dog's neck. He who offers a grain offering as if he offers swine's blood. He who burns incense as if he blesses an idol. Just as they have chosen their own ways and their soul delights in their abominations, so will I choose their delusions and bring their fears on them. Because when I called, no one answered. When I spoke, they did not hear. But they did evil before my eyes and chose that in which I do not delight. Hear the word of the Lord, you who tremble at His word, your brethren who hated you, who cast you out for my name's sake, said, Let the Lord be glorified, that we may see your joy. But they shall be ashamed. You see what's happening here? In Israel, there were folks that were going to worship the Lord. They were offering up their sacrifices, killing their bulls and their heifers and their lambs and their goats. But God said to him, you know, you might as well have just killed a pig. You might as well have just offered a human sacrifice, neither of which God would accept. We know that. He said, but for all the good your worship is doing, you might as well have offered a human sacrifice. Why? Because here were people that were coming to God, expecting God to hear them. But when God had spoken to them, they would not hear Him. How often do we go in our prayers to God and we want God to hear us? The question is, how often do we go to His Word and listen to Him? Because, brethren, if we want God to hear us, we have to begin by listening to Him. This corresponds with what the Scripture says in Second Peter. Second Peter chapter 1. Excuse me, First Peter. Chapter 1, beginning at verse 22. In First Peter chapter 1, beginning at verse 22. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit, through obeying the truth, you see that? You purified your souls through obeying the truth. Where did the truth come from? From the Word. Through the Spirit and sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart, having been born again not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, through the Word of God, which lives and abides forever. Because all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man is the flower of the grass. The grass withers, its flower falls away, but the Word of the Lord endures forever. Now this is the word which by the gospel was preached to you. Continue on. Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking as newborn babes, desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. We became children of God through His word. He says, now you've got to continue on desiring that word like babes in Christ, getting that milk and growing and growing to the knees. 
But if our hearts are going to be devoted to God in prayer, it's got to be based on His Word. I trust that you see that if we are going to serve the Lord and pray to the Lord and be devoted to the Lord in prayer, we've got to be devoted to the Lord in His Word. And when we do both, prayer based on Bible study, Bible study coupled with prayer, then we are inviting God to work through our lives. And we can be the conduit through which His power enters the world. Ephesians 6.20 To Him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all we ask or think, by the power that works in us. But it takes both prayer and Bible study. It takes two, prayer and Bible study, to allow God to really work in our lives. I hope this study in the Bible has helped you in your prayer and your Bible study. Let's remember what we learned about why these two aspects of spirituality must go hand in hand. We must have both prayer and Bible study in order to, one, put on the whole armor of God, two, pray in faith, three, know God, four, pray in Jesus' name, and five, have two-way communication with God. Again, I want to thank you for joining us at the Franklin Church of Christ in this study. I invite you to study with us on any number of subjects. If you've been given this lesson on CD by a friend, feel free to get on our website at www.franklinchurchofchrist.com and download any of the lessons we have available in audio format. Or download the outlines to print out and study on your own. If you have any questions about prayer, about Bible study, or about the Franklin Church of Christ, please contact us by calling 615-794-2359 or contact us through our website. Again, that's franklinchurchofchrist.com. May God richly bless you, and may you richly bless God.